Welcome to the regular podcast from Editorial Intelligence, the media analysis and networking business. You can see all our broadcast interviews on our EITV channel on YouTube and editorialintelligence.com. We're going to move on to our uh, final session talking about apprenticeships and training now. Uh, I'm Sarah Smith. I'm the business correspondent at Channel 4 News. Uh, and I'm frequently talking to uh, companies and to industries who often tell me that um, skills and training are the, the singular issue that they're the most concerned about in Britain. So this is a very apposite topic. Because we, we all know a skilled workforce is going to be absolutely essential to the UK economy, that we can't compete without it. But when I go around and talk to businesses, it seems there is a lot of dispute about what the right skills are. It's all very well to say we need more skills. What skills do we need? And whose responsibility is it to provide those? Is it the industries and businesses who need them? Is it the government uh, who know that this is going to be a key factor in our economic success? Is it the charity and NGO sector who need to be doing more to provide skills because that's the only way they're going to get people into work? Um, we're lucky in that we have a panel who are kind of uniquely skilled to be able to discuss this, representing all sides of the debate. We've got Richard Hammer from BAE Systems, Ollie Barrett from an entrepreneurial background, and Susie Stride, who's going to talk from a charities and NGO sector point of view. I will introduce each one of them a little bit more fully just before they're going to give some remarks. Um, we're not going to have 10-minute presentations, I'm afraid, just two or three minutes from each of you, and that will allow us to get into a discussion in the rest of the room as quickly as possible. Uh, so I might as well um, go from the end with Richard Hammer, who's the Education Director and Head of Early Career Programs at BAE Systems. That means he's in charge of their skills policy and working out how they're going to meet the future requirements that that company and a lot of their um, suppliers are going to need. He works on their apprentice and graduate strategy. Coordinating their education program, which is very interesting and exciting, going into schools, tie-ups with the RAF and people to enthuse people about the idea of engineering and BAE systems that I, I know this from my own experience are very good at working early with people they know that they need to talk to people who are 13 14 years old now if they're going to have these people working for their company um, 10 years hence and um, so it'd be very interested to hear from him what he thinks we need to do with apprenticeships in this country case apprenticeships and they you know have a critical role in developing talent for us in BA Systems, um, they really do underpin our engineering and manufacturing skills capability. Uh, we have got very complex skills projects, for example, building a nuclear submarine. We can't just recruit someone off the street to do that. And I've read a kind of level of being a welder to build a submarine, or indeed to be the programme manager of a multi-billion pound project managing that. So we need project programmes to deliver those programmes. We have around 300 apprentices to recruit each year. We've got some here today. Um, and we have about 1,000 in training. There is, I believe, a strong economic case for apprenticeships. Um, apprenticeship programme is expensive. It does cost us about £90,000 over four years to train someone. Um, but it's a, a quality investment, and it, we need to make that investment. We estimate we get about £47,000 back, in fact, over that apprenticeship, um, with about, with, in terms of return on, on the investment of their, their labour, about 40% in year two, 6% in year three, and 80% in year four. Um, and we also get 17k back from government towards the cost of the apprenticeship. Um, it's also, I think, a compelling case too for the individuals. And a bit earlier on, Julia talked about, um, you know, the BA Systems Chairman and whatever. And maybe you know, he needs to say more about offering higher salaries. But actually, uh, the evidence from Royal College Engineering and Engineering UK is that if you do an engineering degree, or if indeed you do an apprenticeship, um, then your likely return is. Uh, if you exclude things like medicine or law or accountancy, it's one of the very best areas to do a, a job in, in terms of getting a long-term return on, on, on your investment, your education. Um, but more than that, I think there are a lot of benefits to apprenticeships too that are, that are wider. Apprenticeships are there about delivering and providing technical capability. But for us, why they're so efficient for us is that they also they help, help embed company values. They provide a passion and enthusiasm for engineering. Um, they also enable our apprentices um, to have the kind of soft skills we've talked about, which means they have the ambition, the confidence, and the conviction to be successful in their careers when actually they leave their programmes. 
our apprenticeships to have great loyalty um, to us. Um, in fact, we find, well, we see about seven years or so after leaving, over 85% of our apprentices are still with us, whereas if we compare that with a graduate, it's around about 70%. And actually, look, look wider in the sector or, or, or the economy, it's about 50%, I think, of graduates still with companies at that point. So there's a, there's a, there's a, a great incentive in using apprentices at that point of view. We do also see for apprentices that this isn't about uh, low skills, and back from our point of view, it's about high skills. Our military information business, of their top 400 managers, 270 started actually as apprentices. And in fact, the MD of that business, 13,000 people, was an apprentice. And the guy who runs the Typhoon Assembly, which actually in terms of the uh, uh, investment and insurance value of Typhoon is, uh, is great in a single building in Canary Wharf, he was apprenticed too. So you can do a really complex, big job and start apprentice. Indeed, I think you know, always being an apprentice is a crucial element to help you get to that point in time. Um, also, I think our apprenticeship programmes, we enter a lot of awards and things like that, and they provide us with a good reputation for that. So in conclusion, conscious of time, Sarah, um, apprenticeships for us are critical in terms of meeting our future skills needs. Um, they do deliver great technical competence, but more than that, they also deliver real employability skills, which are vital for us, but also vital for young people to themselves. They're brilliant for developing talent in the short term, but also the long term. And indeed, they're part of our DNA of an organisation, and we couldn't um, really succeed as we do without them. Thank, Thank you. That's very interesting, and it's, of course, it seems to make perfect sense why a large company that needs for highly skilled workers like BAE Systems would indulge in that amount of training and apprenticeships. Where do young entrepreneurs find skilled people to work for them? Where do they find the skills that they need themselves? This is what Ollie Barrett can talk to us about. He's set up a lot of companies himself, everything from a student headhunting website to a SOC subscription service. Um, but he's also working now to encourage young entrepreneurial talent, helping companies with social action projects and coming up with really interesting ideas like his Make Your Mark with a Tenor scheme where 50,000 school pupils were challenged to see what they could do in one month with just £10 to try and develop the entrepreneurial skills that we need. So from a slightly different perspective on business, Ollie, tell us what you think. Thanks, Sarah. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm not an expert, uh, funnily enough, in uh, pretty much anything, actually, and especially not apprenticeships. Uh, however, they do fascinate me. and I'm very interested in the subject. I'll tell you why. I started Tenor because I was a bit sick of going into schools to give a talk and just seeing a room of people who were quite asleep, actually. Mm -hmm. And they didn't seem very alive. And this was before I started speaking, by the way, before you make a rude comment. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they just seemed to be very awake. Uh, to their own sort of, um, you know, ability in life and their own, uh, what they were good at, what they loved doing. And I wanted to get them awakened and alive and, uh, and very much in tune with what, lay, with what lay beyond the school gates. And so handing them a tenor and saying, we'll come back in a month and see what you've turned it into seemed like a crazily simple idea. And it worked. And they turned it into £100 and lots more. And, uh, and I found that incredibly important, uh, just that awakening. And so anything like apprenticeships, which connects that world with the world of work in a structured way, in a paid way, is very good news. Here's the challenge. Like so many good things I find at the moment, I keep stumbling across things like this, great things exist, they're just not well enough known about. And so one big challenge, and if you look at the backdrop of the cuts, the inability to promote great stuff, we're going to have to club together, particularly the business community, to make this better known and to shout about the success stories. So that's the second thing. With Startup Britain, which I was one of the founders of, 100% privately funded, backed by the Prime Minister, we've just been to 42 cities, banging the drum about a number of things, including startup loans. Well, if it hadn't been for the private sector cash, we wouldn't have hit one of those cities. And so I want to know how we can do things better together to get such things much, much better known. I think the conclusion that Doug Richard, former Dragon, came to in his recent review of apprenticeships was that everywhere he's gone, there's been a warmth around apprenticeships. There isn't a lot of head shaking, well, I'm not sure they work. So there's a great opportunity here, unlike certain schemes, uh, to really go with that. Um, my observation is when I was at university and I dropped out of uni to start my first business, uh, I was under the impression that pretty much every company was a large company. I don't know why, that's just how it seemed to me at the time. And I'd go to the careers fair and it would slightly bore me. The AE systems, I'm sure, weren't there. <laughs> and then I found out that 99.9% .9 of British businesses are not large. And so I took the point in the earlier session with the chief executive Hayes that companies, small companies, 
in his words, aren't taking anyone on. Of course that's not true. Of course they are taking people on, just not at the rate that we'd like them to be. And so my question is, how can we incentivize, and I don't have all the answers here for you, Sarah, but how can we incentivize more small companies uh, to take people on, given that 99.9% .9 of them are not large? My final thought, and this is, the guess, the thing that winds me up about apprenticeships overall, is this notion, this myth, that for the clever ones, we turn left and go off to university. And if you don't make that grade, you turn right and go off and we'll see you at the lathe. And I find that ridiculously depressing for two main reasons. Number one, as we know, the ones that are turning left and going off to university very often are being sold a false promise and perhaps shouldn't have been going there in the first place. And secondly, if we had got people in schools, and I'll finish on this, doing stuff with their hands, making stuff, working in teams, then I think they would have come alive at a far greater rate. So for all of those reasons, I'm hugely pro, and I've asked more questions than I've given answers, but thank you. Thank you very much. Um, two very different perspectives from the private sector, but I think we all know um, training and apprenticeships cannot solely be done by business. Um, government, charities, NGOs are going to have to get involved if we're going to provide the right kind of training and apprenticeships for far too many meets in this country. Um, and Susie Stride uh, is very well placed to talk to us about this. She is the manager of the charity City Gateway, working with uh, upskilling uh, young people, working with underprivileged young people, trying to get them the education and training that they need. She's got a long background working with underprivileged young people in crime prevention and youth unemployment projects. Um, and she's also been adopted as a Labour candidate for um, Harlem. And she's going to talk to us about her work in the um, non-governmental sector. Wonderful. I just realised there's not really anywhere to put my papers, but I'll balance them there. Great. Um, thank you for having me here. I actually agree with a lot of what you guys have already said. Um, I'll tell you just a little bit about my charity that I work for, City Gateway. We work with um, unemployed young people, young people from very difficult backgrounds, probably some of the ones that went out in the riots a couple of years ago. And we work to upskill them and get them into work. And what we do is we make sure that we tailor the training programmes that we run to expanding industries. So there was one point when we were running media courses, but we realised that our young people couldn't necessarily compete with graduates to get into you know, media jobs. So we looked at fitness. Fitness is an expanding industry. So we asked employers, what courses do you want young people, what courses or, or qualifications do you want young people to have to compete to get jobs in fitness? And we tailored our courses around that. Um, and we work with 14 to 24 year olds, we work with women and as I say we work mainly with those from really underprivileged, difficult, challenging backgrounds. Um, so we would say that we believe in giving young people second chances and those that, as I say, in some ways other people say, you know, they've been left behind and we say actually they've got potential, we want to work with them. And I always think it's best to illustrate what we do by telling a story. Um, and there's a young man called Kajul Mia who actually was front page of the Evening Standard a few weeks back, so you may have read his story. Um, and he came out of school at 11, as in he, he dropped out of school at 11, roaming the streets. He was in and out of prison for many, many years. So by the time he got to us, he had very few qualifications. He had a criminal background and he had a few other problems as well. And actually, I worked with him one-on-one -on -one because I helped run the course that he was on. Um, but what he did have was bucket of enthusiasm and natural talent. And so we did this pre-apprenticeship programme with him for six months and then we put him in, in, on a placement um, with Fitness First. And now he is full-time employed there. He was named um, London's Apprentice of the Year for this year. And then he would say that the City Gateway Apprenticeship Programme has changed his life. Now, I could replicate that story many times over. Young people that others would say, let's forget. But actually, through giving them the support, through giving them the contacts, through giving them the right qualifications, you can bridge that link between being unemployed employed and getting these young people um, into work. And one of the things that we're really passionate about at City Gateway is that we believe that some of these young people that others want to leave behind and forget that actually they can compete with the graduates, that actually they've got the natural <laughs> gifting and the ability to compete. And actually what they need is the right support. And as I say, in some ways, that's where City Gateway um, comes in. And hopefully when you guys ask questions, some of the other stuff that I'd like to say will come out because I haven't got lo lots of time. But I really agree with what um, has already been said, that actually apprenticeships are they are they, they make sense because often you know, I work I live in uh, in Tower Hamlets where you've got Canary Wharf and lots of these people they don't want to take on, on local people but actually if you take on someone and if you invest in them and if you train them up they're more likely to be loyal to your organisation because you've invested in them and actually you won't have that necessarily high turnover of staff. 
So the final thing to say is, is at City Gateway, we believe in that we can transform the landscape of youth unemployment, that we can really bring change there, but there are challenges. We don't, like many charities, have a secure building. We have about a four million shortfall in fund funding. The government do help us in our uh, training of apprentices, but it's, it's not enough. But we do believe that if we can meet those challenges, that not only can we begin to transform the lives of young people, but also that we can transform um, the landscape of apprenticeships um, and youth um, unemployment, and not just in London, but beyond. Thank you. A lot of interesting ideas from different perspectives there, and I'm sure there will be plenty of questions in the room. Well, is there anybody who would like to ask our first question? Uh, hi, I'm Daniel Driscoll. I'm an apprentice at BAE Systems. And um, I went to a comprehensive school where the most academically competent students were pretty much bullied to go to university. And um, there were a big misconception that apprenticeships were basically for electricians and uh, plumbers, basically. And uh, once I got to university, I couldn't get my head around the idea of paying that amount of money to put myself in a position where I wasn't guaranteed a job at the end of it. And so I left like you, Ella. And um, this apprenticeship came along, and it's worked out brilliantly. But I think there needs to be direct contact with all the schools, basically, to let them know the importance of apprenticeships. Do you know what I mean? Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, yeah. I agree. I thought my university experience bore me to tears. I thought it was absolutely rubbish. I thought a lot of fun yeah. people, but the lectures were awful. I had to leave immediately. Now, who would have come into your school that would have inspired you? Who would you have liked to have seen it been? The companies themselves, basically. Like BAE Systems are doing that now, but um, that wasn't going on when the year I went to university. But it was physically like bullying you if you got the high enough grades or like really you need to go to university. Complete misconception. Are too many people going to university? I mean, the previous government had a target 50%. Was that too high? I don't know. I just think it all needs scrapping and rebuilding, really. I just think that the universities need redesigning, in my view. Um, too many people are going for too long. They're too expensive. They're learning the wrong things. They're not sufficiently well designed that you actually meet the right people when you're there. So I honestly, obviously, keep them going. Don't scrap them. But somebody needs to start getting a blank sheet of paper and getting some interesting characters around the table saying, what would another type of university look like? That's my view, anyway. And I teach them about all sorts of different things, from sleep to exercise to all the things that Jenny was probing at probably earlier, relaxation, all those things. So I'd start again. How involved are BAE systems with university courses telling them what you need your graduates to have learned whilst they're there? Uh, very close, really. I mean, we have partner universities off at Loughborough. Um, we help design the, uh, the course for the MA in Justice Engineering. So we make sure that it meets our needs, it meets, meets the needs of young people. And actually, in, on that particular course, there's uh, work experience with us, you know, work placements built into it. So it's not just a conventional taught degree. It's, as Alistair was saying earlier on, it's a mixture of academic taught plus also real work. In effect, like an apprenticeship. And that's what the young people here are doing. They're doing a hybrid effectively uh, apprenticeship, which also involves uh, college study and whatever as well. So that's why I think you get the, the richest experience of that. And we do find with uh, undergraduate education, you do need about a two-year programme to convert someone to be employable. And we've got funding. Um, Is that because it's so rubbish? <laughs> well, you need, you need things like team, teamwork skills, all things we've talked before. There's all those soft skills. They do take time to adjust to that. Um, and good um, quality work experience is really important. And as other speakers have said at the moment, it's really challenging to get that in the current climate. So mm. we're fortunate. We've got a, a project we've funded via UKCS and BIS, which is giving additional 100, additional 100 summer placements for mm. undergraduates, which will give them a real project to work on, which will give real skills, you know, the kind of skills you, you learn when you yeah. start at work. And I would um, come from the opposite end of the spectrum to say that these skills can be brought out in a day, in a morning, in a week, and if we don't raise the bar and say, of course it doesn't take two years to bring out team working yeah. skills in someone. You know, it's innate in them, in my view, and it just needs to be rapidly, rapidly accelerated. And I just feel that we're taking this slightly sort of incremental plod, not your, not your no. approach, but that sort of approach that says, well, these things take time. No, they don't. I've worked on public speaking classes with kids, and they have rapidly transformed in an hour. And I think when I speak as I was saying before, work experience is, is crucial. So 
doing things you know, with schools. We have about 700 young people come in across the company, across the UK, to do work experience. You know, those are a week or two week yes. interventions, but they are crucial for young people to learn what, what work is actually like. Um, indeed, if, they, if indeed they might choose, they don't want to work for an engineering company, they want to do something very different, mm -hmm. but it's, it's still a, an eye-opening experience to do something and find out about work. How much of a kind of class divide is there between graduates and non-graduates? So I mean, it's all very well to universities aren't necessarily skilling people with what business needs, but you were talking a lot about getting people to compete with graduates. To what extent is there a, a sense that if you're not a graduate, you can't compete in the workplace? Um, I think, well, this is what's changing, isn't it? So, I mean, I didn't actually speak about it when I was up there, but I don't know if anyone here has heard of the Ladder for London campaign that the Evening Standard has been running. And, and obviously, this is changing the landscape because what's happened there is we have challenged um, companies across London to actually take on young people from these more difficult backgrounds. They don't have a university degree. In fact, they may not have a GCSE. In fact, they may not have any qualifications until they come to us. And actually, we've had 500 companies, actually, it's 1,000 companies have contacted us in the last two months, confirmed 500 placements that's 500 jobs for young people so 500 lives that we're going to turn around and ultimately that for me is changing the landscape because we're saying it's not about whether you've got a degree from a top university and it's not about whether you've got certain qualifications it's about saying can we do in some of what you're saying is bridge that gap of some of those soft skills whether it be public speaking and what is great about apprenticeships is we're not confined so we've got to get them the vocational qualification but if we want to do public speaking with them or if we want to you know do stuff around communication or team building because we know that they need those things. We can do that. That flexibility is there. And I think you don't always get that, you know, in, tr in traditional education. I didn't get that in school at all. Um, so, yeah, so for me, I think, you know, that's where apprenticeships in some way, I've got the one up on tradi in traditional education. Thanks. Neil Slater from the Open University. Susie, your initiative sounds absolutely fantastic, um, but you've got a three million pound shortfall. Four. Uh, four million, sorry. <laughs> How on earth can we scale that kind of thing up across the UK at a time of decreasing public spending? Yeah, I mean, this is this has always been our challenge. I mean, interestingly, it was my brother that was going to speak here today, but we've got a royal visit happening this morning, so sadly he couldn't come. Um, and then I was asked in my capacity as a parliamentary candidate, not knowing that we were related, which is quite funny. But anyway, um, and yeah, I mean, that has been the bane of, um, of his life, and a gentleman at the back there who works in fundraising is, is here with me today. Um, and it's interesting, Eddie took on City Gateway in 2003, one member of staff, three months of, fund three months of funding. He has turned us, since 2003 till now, to a £4 million turnover charity, and we've got 140 staff. So, you know, with his leadership and his hard work, his ability, I suppose, to charm certain people and whatever, he's been at 10 Downing Street twice in the last couple of months, um, I believe we will get there. But as it is absolutely very challenging, and we get more government contracts now than we used to, which is fantastic. We get lots of corporate donations, which is fantastic. And obviously now, through Evening Standard support, we're getting these, these placements. But the, the big challenge is we've got all these placements, but we're not actually getting funding to employ people to do the administrative task of getting young people linked to those placements. And, you know, so if anyone in the room wants to give us some money for that, that would be great. Um, but, yeah, it is. It's, it's a huge, it is a huge challenge. And, you know, I would love to see, you know, more wealthy people thinking, you know, let, let's give to these things, you know, let's benefit wider society. But... You know, some of that is happening and it's fantastic, but we'd love to see more of it. And, you know, part of being here today, if Eddie was here, he'd be far more cheeky about asking people for money. But part of being here today is part of that. Exactly what um, one of you guys said, the profile of good projects doesn't always happen. And, you know, we are a great charity. We are a great charity. We've got people that work very long hours because we are passionate about, you know, changing young people's lives. And, you know, things like today help with that. But, you know, it's going to be a long road, definitely. Do you want government funding? I mean, the government are putting tens of billions of pounds into the work programme and not getting much return for it, it would seem, at the moment. If you're genuinely finding people places into work and being more effective, would you take government funding if biz were to offer it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is the thing. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm Labour, but I'll try to stay away from politics. But the fact is, is well, I don't, why did, this is one of the things, why did we not get one of those contracts? I mean, it's extremely frustrating. I mean, it... it it's heartbreaking how many people are unemployed at the moment. We hear these statistics and think, oh, it's just a statistic, but it's lives and it's potential wasting away at home. Um, and, you know, we could have done a much better job on that, absolutely. You know, partly because we're grassroots and we know what we're doing, but also because we have these great contacts. And to be honest, David Cameron needs to wake up and say, actually, we probably need to give one of these contracts to organisations like City Gateway because we'd see those statistics go up in the number of young people that are in employment. Um, 
But yeah, we are happy to get government contracts. You're right, it comes without having to tick certain boxes, but ultimately we need the money so we can bring the change and wherever it comes from, we're happy to get it. Uh, I'm Andrew McPhee. I'm from Hackney Council where we run a recruitment brokerage for Hackney residents, a bit similar to uh, City Gateway, but run directly through the council. Um, a question about apprenticeships. So they're obviously really well-renowned in certain sectors like engineering, trades, uh, IT, construction, and that sort of thing. But do you think that apprenticeships have value in all sectors, so places like retail, hotel and hospitality, uh, customer service, creative tech, those kinds of things? It's a slightly rhetorical question because I've, I have talked with a lot of employers um, and I've never had an employer in retail say, oh, if only this person had an apprenticeship, a level two in retail, I would just hire them, that would be it. Uh, so is there something, is there another route that we need to be taking there? Is there something else we need to be looking at? Hey, well, I mean, you've already suggested it. it's, it's your rhetorical question, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't see the strong reason why not. And to go back to your question earlier, my, my thought is regardless of anything that ever gets taught at school, we just have to get more people into the schools, particularly perhaps the apprentices themselves, to just tell their story. And I sometimes, some, sometimes suspect there's that sort of suspicion, isn't there, if you get the letter from the government and we're trying to help, or indeed sometimes from the big company and we'd like you to know about this, whereas the more you can get the actual beneficiary of it to say, look, I was a bit sceptical about this, I thought it would be quite a faff to go through, it has been awesome. And, and why not across industries? I don't see the reason why not. But at what point is an apprenticeship unpaid labour? I mean, you can call it work experience if you want, but mm. you can also well, call it... Well, these are paid, aren't they? Apprenticeships yeah, are they're paid. paid. They're jobs. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and funny enough, I think from 16 to 18, the government's contribution is much greater, isn't it? Yeah, that's what we get, £17,000 over 42 months towards an apprenticeship. That covers the F, element of the FE, FE courses. I mean, we are a time of change, and if you look at PwC, they're offering apprenticeships people to do accountancy. Um, a, a number of the big uh, uh, retail companies are offering apprenticeships. It's an entry programme into work uh, with a structure which has a formal commitment to education as part of it. Um, I think it, it works across all sectors, um, as long as they're quality programmes. Um, and you're asking, you know, not just outside our traditional areas, other companies doing them, doing them very well. Mm. And indeed, I think the likes of PwC or whatever are saying that they need that as an alternative track to high level skills to the conventional people coming and having done a degree or whatever and join them at 21 or 22 or whatever age. Yeah. I would say, by the way, I know, I know he seems quite meek and mild, but go and have a look at Doug Richard's review. I'm not able to say I agree with every word because I haven't uh, digested it in detail. One of the things he talks about is this idea of sort of pre-apprenticeship training and one idea might be for some of the companies offering apprenticeships to join forces uh, to develop perhaps some of those softer skills and offer programs in schools, out of schools. And just to seed that idea a little bit without going in necessarily all guns blazing going and it should be with us. And I don't know whether there's a broader entry into that, you know. Well, in our sector, we are working through the Cabinet of Engineering to promote um, engineering and that dreaded word STEM, science, technology, and maths, to the, the wider population. So we do try to work in concert yeah. um, and through things like the Big Bang or whatever, huge sort of festivals yeah, of skills. I would just say, I mean, I can't comment on all sectors, but on retail, we, we run customer services apprenticeships. So we've had Pret-a-Manger and other big companies approach us. And I think the idea is that as long as you've got young people that are out of work and can't find that pathway into work, and as long as you've got companies that need people, you need to bridge that gap. And it can be for a whole array of ways, but one way is through apprenticeships. And obviously what apprenticeships do is it, it can get those young people that aren't going to get there otherwise. And actually what you can do in an apprenticeship, yes, you're absolutely right, it's that level two qualification, but it's also all the soft skills that we've spoken about today. And actually that's what we do with them. We get them to do a dragon's den and we get them to sell stuff. And often these young people, you know, some of them are East Londoners and they're, you know, they're very street savvy. They've got the gift of the gab and actually they'd be a great salesperson. You know, you think of Alan Sugar and some of these, and is it Duncan Ballantyne? You know, they could have been left on the scrap heap of life, but you know, you know, they got there. And for us, this is that way of finding the next generation of Alan Sugars and Duncan Ballantynes and saying, actually apprenticeship could be that bridge to get you in maybe the first point of call is Pret-a-Manger, but then you could be the manager and then you could go on. So for me, I think it could work in all sectors and it's about bridging that gap between those guys that could be left behind and they shouldn't be left behind. Janie Walker. Um, I'm really struck by um, two things. Ollie saying that you go into school and everybody's kind of sleepy and not that interested. Um, I'm a school governor. The careers person endlessly says, what do I do to stop kids coming in on the last day of the summer term of their last year saying, what should I do? 
Um, so I, I think anything that kind of uh, animates and motivates people to be thinking about it earlier. But I'm also really struck to, listening to people talking about apprenticeships. The problem for companies is it's a really expensive business, so the, the numbers are going to be limited. But also when you look from the outside, it's lots of different companies doing their own very tailor-made one. What could happen that could give the benefit of your apprenticeships to a wider audience? And how do we stop it being that it's just absolutely wonderful for the person that gets to be mm. your apprentice? But you're re you know, everybody's starting from zero and there's not enough access for people who could benefit from what you are giving to the very, very tailor-made group that you've got. One of the things we are, we are doing, uh, again courtesy of support from, from Biz, through the employer ownership pilots, one of the things that, that Doug Rich yeah. has been supporting, we're offering apprenticeships for our supply chain. So up at Preston, we're offering additional 50 places for small companies. So we can tailor our programs to meet their, their requirements. What we're also trying to do is work across the sector. So it won't just be us, work with other people like Stevens or JLR or whatever to have some kind of connectivity across the country. So if people apply for apprenticeship program, big companies can help redirect candidates to other opportunities uh, within our supply chain. So one of the things working with our sector skills council is around having a common entry point for recruits into our sector where we can then redirect them um, or provide you know, training indirectly for our own overtraining, what we call a capacity. Mm. What, whose responsibility is it to try and stop kids thinking on the very last day before they leave school, now is the time to think about what I want to do with the rest of my life? Everyone's. Yes. I agree so we have, to, we have to just, get, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's everyone's. Everyone, everyone, a lot of people talk about these things and don't actually do anything that reflects their desire to give something back. You know, there's so much, I won't call it hypocrisy, uh, it's, probably, it's probably laziness in a sense, isn't it? But you just say, look, you know, it, if, you, if you've been through something and you realise that, you know, you went through school pretty depressed, you know, the thing that, you know, the thing that kids worry about is exam results, exam stress, that sort of thing. And, and so we need this amazing thousands of people going into schools to spend some time one-to-one -one, sitting down saying it's going to be okay you shouldn't be sad you shouldn't be upset about this yeah and that's why um Jenny is absolutely right. I, met, I was in a school in Telford uh, a, a month ago and the teacher had just said goodbye to a whole class into unemployment for the first time a whole class I think it's about taking responsibility and I think that uh schools, employers, businesses, and individuals, pupils themselves, yep. need to take responsibility for their future. I mean, one of the things that I think may be coming out of Doug Rich's proposals is that schools will be measured on destination into apprenticeships as well as destinations yep. into university. Mm -hmm. So if the school signally fails to signpost young people into careers and opportunities other than university, then they'll fall lower in these ratings. Yep. Bit. And I think that way will indirectly will force them to think about apprenticeships. And I think that would be a positive thing to measure them on. There's a gentleman at the very back row who's extremely keen to ask a question, so let's hear from him. <laughs> I just didn't want to put my hand up. Um, Mike Richardson from KH Recruitment Limited. We see lots of, of youngsters come through to us looking for work, and it, and it, it saddens me. Um, we get kids in, they've got 10 GCSEs at grade E and below. What is the point of that? Surely, and, and, and every job wants, um, or lots of jobs need a, um, a B or above in maths and English, is yeah, they need to study maths, they need to study English, and there may be three things they enjoy, for goodness sake. The problem is, is a lot of them are actually disengaged with the education process before they get to the apprenticeship. The apprenticeships will start in the September after they walk out of school with no qualifications in the May. They've already had three, four months kicking around doing nothing. But one of the guys who works for us, actually one of my employees, um, his daughter was doing an apprenticeship at hairdressing college course um, started in the September she was ill for six weeks um, with glandular fever or something she went back to college they said you're too late to come back you have to now wait till next September the whole thing as Oliver said is is broken yeah um, it needs fixing and I think Michael Gove rather than just concentrating on re reintroducing um, O levels um, is actually just look at the whole thing and maybe start bringing in apprenticeships at a younger age yeah at 14 um, alongside the you know, um, core subjects, maybe two, three core subjects, and then something practical education um, for, for people who want to go that route. It, it sh really should be made available. A guy came in, I'm, I'm going on now, sorry, but um, an example of this is a lad came in the other week, 
um, and he said he'd okay on the phone, 22-year-old, a welder. Um, I, was, I, I had a vision of what to expect. He couldn't come in to see me one day because he was at the council because he just got a new house with his girlfriend and their two kids. I was getting a picture in my head. 22-year-old guy walked in, breezy, bright, ready for work, yeah? He had work experience. I thought there was a mistake in his CV, but no. When he was 14, he was working one day a week with a local engineering company while studying his GCSEs. He had three GCSEs, two NVQs in engineering, the whole thing. Brilliant, yeah. That pathways to work, I believe, has been closed. But that is just a prime example, really, of, of where apprenticeship should. It, it seems it's an alternative to education. That's what I get, as opposed to including it within the education system. Sorry. Yeah, can I just say, I mean, it's really interesting you say that. We've been running an alternative education program for 14, 16 year olds since, well, our first one was in 2008. But for the first time this year, we properly rolled it out. And in some ways, it was because I was absolutely sick of having conversations with young people on their first day. And exactly what you've just said, you ask them what qualifications do you have? None. And what does that do to a young person's confidence that they've been through school and they've got no qualifications? So what we're doing now is schools, every school in Tower Hamlets refers young people to us. Every PRU in Tower Hamlets refers young people to us. And we run apprenticeships for them, for, so 14 to 16, for target for 14 to 16 year olds. It's childcare, it's beauty, it's fitness. So again, it's, it's a job that they could see themselves doing in the future. They still do maths and English, so they're getting their maths and English. They still do other qualifications around that, but it's actually taking them out of the school setting because possibly they're not engaging so it's either you leave them there and they come out at 16 they come to us and they've got no qualifications or they come to us now we help build up that confidence we get them those qualifications that work experience and lots of the things we've spoken about today and in some ways I think we're pioneering on that and we've actually got government funding for that but it's still not enough because government will give you funding in some ways to, to get the qualifications, but they never they don't understand the, the support that is needed. And I haven't mentioned this, but the reason why we are so successful is because we have a model of support, which I don't think other educational institutions have. So we, ha we employ lots of people to do the support work and to kind of hone those soft skills. How early can BAE systems get involved with people? Uh, well, we've got Schools Roadshow that goes in for the top end of prime, bottom of secondary. Uh, and that really sort of tries to highlight young people's ideas around keeping options open to do science engineering. We provide work experience from 14, 14, 16 year olds also for sixth form as well. So uh, on the, via, via the website we've got resources right back to the primary school for, for the teachers to talk about yeah. science engineering and curriculum, how to support their lessons and make them alive in the Teaching. And, and I think uh, um, it's important to have that promotional aspect. I think a challenge for the private sector is how do you co-design experiences for kids? So obviously I'm biased with the tenor hat on. I've worked with, um, my partners have worked with MTV and Apple on filmmaking experiences, but actually something which will inspire them to do something fun, engaging, which will bring out these skills. And one of the depressing things is it's not uh, deliberate, but I feel that school pupils are brainwashed into thinking they're in the passenger seat of their life. And so actually, um, that, that this is very, very harmful, obviously. And so if you suddenly go, well, we need to go to people in authority to change things, then that gets even worse, doesn't it? So actually, I'm very optimistic in the overall scheme because I think so much can be done out of school, alongside school. So many teachers in the hundreds of schools that have done tenor haven't involved in any way in the classroom. It's all been around that. So I'm, I'm really hopeful, as Richard says, uh, earlier on, joining forces between many companies as well. Uh, Anne Howells, The Open University. I don't disagree with anything I've heard in, in this panel session, but I would want to just give one small anecdote that I think there's a gap we're possibly missing here. I was speaking to a friend of mine, a very close friend from university, two nights, two evenings ago. She has two sons, 27 and 31, caught in this gap of people who've been through this at the young unemployed, no apprenticeships, and living in rural Wales, and absolutely, the 27-year-old, full of depression, has come through the university system, can't get jobs, has done two lots of uh, degrees around journalism, etc., has had some work experience, has been through a whole host of temporary jobs, but can't get anything permanent. And her 31-year-old son, married with two small children, absolutely, you know, a 10 years down the line or 15 years down the line of what we're talking about today and let's not forget those people are out there as well and what is it we might be able to do to them when it's not they're not so reachable because they're not identifiable in the school system etc they're out there trying to live lives and failing miserably we'll gather up a couple of other contributions if we can Deesa, university of the arts london 
Um, the apprenticeship system uh, schemes sound great, but how do we get them to relate to or even to replace the growing internship culture that we have here? Uh, it's been well publicised. I mean, internships are great, work experience great, but there have been a lot of uh, publicity recently about how uh, co many companies become wedded to them because they're a source of unpaid labour. Um, and actually we have examples of where you know, even graduates are doing that because in some sectors it's so hard to get a job and graduates are being given responsibilities way above, or anybody in an internship, above what you'd be expected uh, for, for unpaid work. So internships, yes, very valuable, but it, if companies can get this for free, what do we do to get them onto the idea of actually paying? Because so many people can't afford to go and work for free. You know, you, certainly in London, how do you live in London? And even just the cost of getting to work, even if you're living with your parents, is beyond what many people can afford. So how can we get people off that idea of free labour and onto the idea of, of all the support that an apprenticeship uh, entails? That's a, that's a very um, valid question. I'll get the panel to address it. Let's collect one more. Okay, at the risk of being everyone's least favourite person, I am actually from the government. Um, <laughs> yeah, a little bit nervous about saying that. From an organisation called the National Apprenticeship Service, and we work directly with employers. Um, and again, at the risk of being very unpopular, it's more comments I want to make um, rather than questions. First of all, yes, uh, to the gentleman's comment about apprenticeships in other sectors. They do work. They are out there. I've worked with BBC, Channel 4, Guardian newspapers. Um, there are apprenticeships in areas like web design, IT, retail management. I think the biggest issue, to be honest, about apprenticeships is, is not necessarily the funding. I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going to probably differ with Susie on this. It's been the one area, unlike higher education, where there's been a massive increase in, in the budget. The issue is mythology. No one knows, you know, when I go around, what apprenticeships are, uh, how the qualifications are made up, how they're delivered, who they talk to, how they're funded. And I think Ollie made a, uh, a point about it, it's how do we in these austere times, because what we have lost money for is marketing and, and communications, so we, we have lost the budget in our organisation that allows us to get the message out as often, is how, how do we get to business? Um, we talked a lot about it's difficult to get into schools. It's very difficult to get into business, and maybe this is just because I work in the government and, and perhaps people aren't wanting to open doors. But getting in to talk to ed heads of HR is, is challenging, and I don't think we should shift away from the culture change that needs to happen in some organisations. You can all go about today on your sort of daily business and, and, and come into contact with some major brands in London that, w that don't employ apprentices. I think, you know, companies like BA Systems are fantastic because they've embraced it, but there are other large multinationals that, that haven't. Um, again, the campaign, the Ladder for London, is, is brilliant, you know, and I'd love to see big big names like Goldman Sachs finally committing, but it's taken a long time, Susie, and I think we've still got a lot of companies of those kind of names. I'd like to see every investment bank with, you know, 100 apprentices, and actually they can afford it. So I think, you know, we could go down a track, it's just about funding. I, I just want to make a point, it's about culture change as well. Why aren't, why, can I just ask you though, why aren't a small number of very successful businesses funding you funding you as NAS to get out to a massive number of businesses? Well, I think one of the problems we've probably got is because we're, you know, we're part of the government, actually receipt of private funds for us is difficult, so... Difficult but not impossible? Not impossible. Well, that's I mean, what you should do, isn't it? Get the tin out and say, look, I yeah. mean, they know why it makes sense for an investment perspective in terms of loyalty, yeah. in terms of return on investment, in terms of the heart, you're giving yeah. someone a job. Yeah. That's what you should do, right? Well, I mean, Get I 10 million quid to promote apprenticeships across the board. Yeah. Yeah, Possible. It would, you know, that would be fantastic. So Let's do that. Why can't we do that? <laughs> would, you, would you chip into that? <laughs> well, we already we are, effectively, and we are promoting apprenticeships across yeah. our sector and beyond our sector. But so. is, it, is, it, is, it, is it very naive to think that big companies would put a hand in the pocket to fund an overall awareness campaign? Yes. yes. Why? I've, well, we've seen through Startup Britain cash from six sponsors time after time, hundreds of thousands of pounds, to do exactly this. We are so why is it not possible? We, we, we are the lead, lead sponsor of UK Skills show at Birmingham yeah. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. last month. So we are, we are putting money directly into doing it. Yeah, but it's not good enough. You need something to raise all the boats, right? Well, and, and partly, but we also need forums where we can mm. get to speak to employers because... 
you know, HR people have their, their networks like this, so you know, I wheedle myself onto things where I can. Um, but I think you know, marketing is one thing, direct face-to-face -face contact. I don't think it should be you marketing to them. I think you need to turn it around so that you're inspiring the businesses to market to the businesses. That might my, my sound facile, but... We do but have employers doing this. We need more money from them. And it's always better, I think, when we've heard from BA systems. You know, it's fantastic to hear them. My comment just made... My colleague just made the comment, they're doing our sales job for us, which is fantastic, because it, it's better we, than it coming from the government, you know. Yeah, we, we, we did do an event on 19th of November for linked to that overtraining yeah. with the supply chain, and indeed with good support from the media, actually. We've got various uh, people that posted Kate here, so on comms, but... Kate helped with with the media to get in the northwest and nationally awareness for the supply chain, the opportunity to come along. So they come and they can actually see a good talk to our apprentices and learn what they're doing. And we've got we're planning to have another event in January or February uh, again for the supply chain in the region. So getting the, the small companies to come along and see what we do, but it is a, it is difficult. Um, if I think if you're a small company running an apprenticeship, for example, our sector, the next ninety thousand pounds, there's a lot to ask them to take on board. So. Uh, what we are, are saying is that we can actually provide a lot of the help in terms of we're talking around this on the sense soft skills and the kind of support we can do. We as a big company can give that to them. Uh, we can do a lot to help them. And you're up, broadly speaking, you're up for the idea of businesses evangelising apprenticeships to other businesses. Definitely, right? definitely. And if you look at, uh, say, Nigel Whitehead, who runs our UK business, Nigel does a lot of evangelising. Yeah, he's, he's passionate, committed about it because he knows that we need it. Mm. And he also believes it's the right thing to do. Well, well, it's just, I want to bring in the important question we had before about how you replace an internship culture with apprentices because, as you say, they are expensive. And if you're talking about smaller companies who can't necessarily think it's going to be too expensive to set something like that up, and you, get, you can get very well qualified, very bright people who will come and work for nothing. Yeah. Um, it's divisive because not everybody can afford to do it, but if you're running that company and you can get somebody who's going to come in for three or six months and you can continually replace them and you get very, very skilled people, mm. why should they design an apprenticeship well, instead? But, 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 but I, think, I, think I think it's illegal no. to get them to do that job for nothing. To get them to sit around and make tea might not be, but if they're doing that unpaid labour... And who's going to complain if you're getting the genuine work experience? I mean, I have to say, I see it in television and journalism all the time. Mm -hmm. The more responsibility yeah. that you can grab hold of, the better it's going to be for you ever possibly getting a job, even though a job has probably been replaced by an ever-evolving internship. There will be other jobs that will come up. Mm -hmm. And the last thing somebody's going to do is complain that I was, I was given too much to do that I could put on my CV. Mm -hmm. And also, I mean, we know it favours people from wealthy backgrounds. Yeah. I mean, there was a whole programme on the BBC about it. But ultimately, if you're from a more wealthy background, you can go do that. And what, what then happens is that everyone in, in, in all these industries it's dominated by people from a certain background and you know again as I said before you wouldn't have the Alan Sugars of the world if you know if that continues if that makes sense it squeezes other people I really have to come back though on what the lady said I absolutely agree with you the culture needs to change and the amount of funding that has been put into apprenticeships is fantastic and it has changed however it still only covers 50% because what is not recognised is with these kind of young people they need extra support this is why we found that I believe this is why we failed over years and years is we failed to see that they need that extra support and we are on actually funded to do what we do we literally do it because we know it works and because we understand where these young people are coming from so we fund all these jobs which we don't get any funding for but we do it because we know it works mm. and the government don't fund us for that and it's literally a 50% shortfall so it's fantastic what they're doing but they need to recognise that actually it definitely isn't enough and as I say that 4 million shortfall is there so yes the funding is good what they're doing but it needs to be there needs to, there needs to be a greater recognition that actually it costs more than what they think. We're getting towards the end, but let's get another couple of contributions in while we still can. Is there anybody who hasn't made a point who would like to... Um, I'm not an expert in this. I was a secretary taking the minutes when the Engineering Industries Association was setting up their very first apprenticeships. Um, I'm very sad to see they died, but they've now come back. Um, but the point I want to make in terms of maybe bridging the apprenticeship and the, um, the uh, internships, um, I've recently been in touch with the University of East Anglia and their um, business and careers development, what they're doing is they will not allow their, their interns to be unpaid. They have to be paid. They are funding the administration to take the, that role off um, and that difficulty off the small businesses. And it might be just one way of trying to like, make both work. Uh, Tom Meek from the Foreign Office, which is slightly incongruous in this environment perhaps, but we're looking at um, how we might need to change our uh, what we, how we use the tools that we've got to attract uh, newer generations of, of, of workforce. 
Um, two quick questions, I suppose. One on the interns point. Uh, for Susie, really, do you, do you think that this is something you might turn to, where you can actually start doing some direct financial support to people who don't have that ability, don't have that parental net to support them, so that they can get a foot in the door through the interns, which, as others have said already, is, is an increasing way of getting into the workplace? Uh, and one for Ollie, I suppose, in terms of, um, I think I'm really enjoying the energy and the enthusiasm which this d debate, this discussion has generated, uh, and the clear kind of fervor that people have for apprenticeships and, and that route into the workplace. Um, in terms of using the skills or the, the, that goodwill as a volunteer, you know, I don't have a training, I don't have a background in this, but I would be very willing to commit some time to it personally, but I wouldn't know how to. Um, you know, whether you have a network through uh, the City Gateway or, Ollie, you have a, a kind of wherewithal to set something up which says, come and put your skills onto my website, I'll match you and your time requirements with something that really works for us as well. I mean, essentially, what we do for our apprenticeship programme is kind, is kind of actually that, but we do it through apprenticeships. So essentially, a young person comes to us, they may not have the right clothing. Most of the time, they don't. It actually breaks my heart because we take them for speed interviews and some of them won't turn up because they don't have the right clothing. But, you know, we tell them to tell us, but sometimes they're, you know, they're too embarrassed. So actually, we do that. We provide them with the right clothing. We provide them with the travel. Um, and obviously, once they get onto the apprenticeship, they get that pay. But again, we don't want to stop there because apprenticeship pay is not enough. You know, and so the idea is, especially with the Lather for London, that that apprenticeship will turn into a full-time, well-paid job. For Kajul, that's happened, and you can pick up one of these if you want from uh, my colleague at the back, and it will tell you some of the other stories of amazing young people that have gained full-time work. Um, so for me, in some ways, we're already doing that, but we're doing it through the apprenticeship programme because we're very passionate about apprenticeships. You've put together networking databases and websites before. Is, is, the, is there a way in which you can harness the enthusiasm and the skills in this room too? Yeah, but I bet, I bet the answer is somewhere in the room. And I, I know with Startup Britain, when we put out a call for who would like to be a local unpaid champion, and by the way, I have a problem. I get, I get into trouble when I start to explain why it is a bad thing um, to be not paid to do some work, because quite quickly I start to undermine my friends in the voluntary sector. Um, because you start to explain that what they're doing is just not in any way uh, feasible. And so I get into a bit of a mess there. So, so it's quite a tricky conversation for another coffee, probably. Um, on Tom's question, uh, we had 150 people come forward saying we'll be startup local champions. And so we've already heard, I think, from a couple of people, maybe from the NAS, maybe from the was it Education Business Trust, who are doing some great schemes, maybe days where people go into schools. So I'd love to keep in touch. And as and when I do track them down... I mean, I use Twitter to track down characters like this as well, but I'd, I'd definitely keep in touch. And funny enough, if there are any shout-outs in the room of who Tom should go and see, then it would be great to get that afterwards. Okay, well, that's a yes, remarkably... a diva from the Uprising Network, <laughs> for example. Um, I, I think we should probably wrap up because we're over time. That was a very positive note to end on. Do all our panel want to just give us our thoughts on what we've heard? Um, the, the main thing I would say, if I've only got 30 seconds, is you can all contact myself, um, you can contact City Gateway, and there are direct ways that you can get involved, whether that is you can come in and do a session with our young people around CVs, whether you want to invite them to your um, place of work, we have people, we've got a whole team of people that facilitate that, and there are lo loads of ways that you can get involved. We have people coming in, bankers, and they do like mentoring with our young people, and we have loads of ideas of things that we've been doing for the past 10 years, and all we need actually is more people, so whether it be you want to take on a young person or mentor or even just provide um, an insight to where they get to come into a workplace and see what a law firm looks like obviously that can be a transforming experience exactly what you were saying about experiences it can be a transforming experience for a young person so feel free to, to pick up one of our little booklets and you can contact us and you can you can get involved Ollie? my conclusion is we have to inspire and enable businesses to promote apprenticeships to business by making a crystal clear business case to the chief exec, the HR director and the finance director about how it makes sense on every level. And as long as it's government promoting to business or schools promoting to business, we'll be uh, in the dark a little bit. So I'd like to see that and I'd like to help in any way I can. On a positive note, I, I do think we're going to have a sea change where apprenticeships are becoming more popular and there's more government funding for it and events like this are creating more interest in it at all levels. So I do think that uh, going forward there'll be more opportunity. Clearly at the current time jobs are hard to come by and 20% of whatever young people are out of work, 
But I think, I think there has been a real change. I think also businesses increasingly working more on a collaborative basis, uh, you know, in all sectors, working with government and indeed the voluntary sector. And we work with British Trust and various other charities too. We're not you know, an, an exception. So I'd, I'd like to leave this with a, a vote of confidence in, in where we're going and opportunities that exist for young people. A positive note on which to end. So thank you very much, Richard Hammer, Ollie Barrett and Susie Stride. That was great. Thank you.